This is Rabbi Josh Uter of the Stanton Street Shul. Thank you for downloading this class podcast. These classes are provided free of charge through the generosity of the Stanton Street Shul community and supporters like you. If you do enjoy them, please consider making a donation to our synagogue's building fund on our website's shop donate page at www.stantonstshul.com. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, March 14th, 2004. Apologize for my voice. Turns out that for the past couple of days, I've had bronchitis. Oh, uh, the worst. Well, the worst part is, or was, was for several days, I didn't get more than an hour and a half of sleep because I was waking up in the middle to hack up a lot of stuff I'd rather not describe. Mm. Um, my voice still isn't 100% back. I didn't really realize it to now because I work from home. I don't talk to too many people. Mm-hmm. At least not today. I wasn't a busy phone day. Um, but I've been on antibiotics, um, which incident, yeah, I mean, we'll see what the topic, you know, here about taking care of yourself. Um, there were enough friends of mine who you know, were politely saying, yeah, we were hoping you weren't going to be an idiot and not go see a doctor. It's like, no, no, I was being an idiot and not say, but Monday, God found someone in, uh, you know, just a really ridiculous commentary on our medical system is, you know, paying, you know, $85, $90 to a doctor so you can get $10 worth of prescriptions. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, so anyway, um, yeah, if you have this stuff, just go get it checked out because could it get better on its own? Yeah. But if you don't have to be miserable for a couple of extra days, mm-hmm. uh, I remember that first night where I got like a full night's sleep was just so absolutely wonderful. Uh, I guess this is what, you know, I get to look forward to in parenthood, um, yeah. on a kind of regular basis, only maybe not as painful. Other than the voice, are you feeling better? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, so it, I may sound weird now and weird on the recording, but, you know, I'm, yeah, I I've caught up on sleep. You know, it doesn't hurt to talk like it did over Shabbos and even a little bit Sunday. So thank God we're all good. Just want to explain why you sound funny. So today we, you know, going back to a one-off, which, you know, as I mentioned, I thought I should have done before Pesach, but whatever. This is actually a serious question that I got. Um, a friend of mine, won't mention her name, uh, had asked me about uh, a Jewish MMA. To explain the acronym, MMA stands for Mixed Martial Arts. All right, and we'll t- discuss in detail what that is. So, and we got a story here about a Jewish guy who does mixed martial arts. Uh, and I said, well, you know, it's an interesting question. I said, well, did you have any similar questions about boxing? It's like, no. Like, it was only after she thought about MMA, it would refer, like, certain things to refer to boxing. So, before we get into the details about what these things are and distinctions, let's go through a bit of the Jewish history on boxing. We can skip through a bit of this. This is a wonderful article on MyJewishLearning.com by Alan Bodner on boxing being a Jewish sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems weird today to think about Jews as boxers, uh, but it says... Uh, uh, during the years uh, 1910 to 1940, there were 26 Jewish world champions. This was an impressive achievement, particularly near when there were only weight classes instead of the ones today. Forget about sanctioning bodies. Um, if anyone follows boxing, you've got multiple promotions or federations or whatever you want to call them. Each one has their own championship, and there is crazy amounts of politics and infighting. So you can have multiple heavyweight champions depending on the promotion. Uh, Tyson uh, was a unified one. 
one. Buster Douglas, I think, was after he knocked him out. Holyfield was, and and my memory's off. I think it's Holyfield or somewhere around there. There was some split because one promotion says, this guy's our number one contender. Someone else says, this guy's our number one contender. And if you don't do what the promotion says, they take away the belt. Anyway. This success must be viewed in the context of overall Jewish participants in boxing. Throughout the 1920s and 30s, approximately 16% of the champions were Jewish, but nearly one-third of the fighters were also Jewish. While they were indeed Jewish champions, Jews did not excel out of proportion to their number of participants, were in fact underrepresented at the championship level. In boxing, at least, Jews could be average, a possibility that was not available in sports outside of baseball. And he goes through in greater detail about why did Jews get into boxing. Um, you know, there was one thing about Jews, you know, representing uh, Judaism as a whole, like the fighting Jew um, and stuff like that. And you've also got stuff of, you know, wanting to make money, right? You know, if you did not have much of an education, but you were a big, tough guy, you know, especially around this time, you can make a couple, you know, it's probably a lot easier, you know, getting beat up and punching out other people than, say, going to med school, mm-hmm. right? If you saw the movie Cinderella, man, I think the antagonist in that movie is Jewish. <laughs> um, well, who is in there? I did not see the movie. Oh, Cinderella, That's a new man, one. is, um, no, it's not that new. It's, I mean, huh? well... 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Really? Yeah, it's Russell Crowe. Really? Won the Academy, I think he won the Academy Award for it. Huh. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm thinking of that other boxing movie that was plastered up recently. Sorry, I'm not up on my Russell Crowe movies. Oh, See? No Point, there are things in pop culture I just don't know. <laughs> That's um, a good movie, you should see it. Really? You think? Yeah, it's great. All right, on the list. Cinderella Man. The best boxing movie that I remember seeing was Digstown. Uh, it was a silly movie. But an interesting twist. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Anyway, Josh, read up a bit here. Or read up, read for us a bit on Dimitri Solita, someone whom some of you might have heard of. Go ahead. Uh, this is page three. The Orthodox fighter returns to ring for one last shot at the title. Okay. Um, one last shot at the title. Okay. So after Dimitri, star of David Solita's fight against Hector. Camacho Jr. was canceled at the beginning of the year. Salita was not sure what would happen next. The 31-year-old welterweight boxer has a career record of 33 wins, one loss, one draw over his, 12, over his 12-year distinguished career. Salita, an Orthodox Jew with roots in the Ukraine, has been a role model for several young Jewish athletes and established his own promotion company in 2010 called Salita Promotions. Uh, Salita has one has one more chance to rejuvenate his career. He believes that if if wi- he believes that if wins if he wins the upcoming fight, he will be able to keep his dream alive of fighting in one one more world title bout. If he loses, chances are he will see retirement. The reason being, he had a title. He like built up a very impressive record, had a title shot, and lost very quickly. Uh, it's one of the things in boxing that people sometimes do. You pick like you know nothing opponents. You build up a record. You know, so just because you might be like thirty-two and zero, doesn't mean you beat any quality opponents. Anyone remember what was at Rocky three? That was kind of the plot there. He built up his championship record by beating nobodies. Um, 
blank stares. Okay, well, at any rate. Uh, so he lost that, and you're trying to make a comeback or you're trying to do something. This is what he's doing. So here are excerpts from an interview. Um, take that last one about how do you manage the balance between religion and work. Okay. Both religion and my work have found a way to function side by side. My goal of religious life is to incorporate it into my business and everyday activities. That's what I have been taught, and I strongly believe that message. I train in Boca Raton, and the Jewish community here has been very warm and welcoming. So, aside from the whole thing about punching people, right, uh, Dimitri's saying that there doesn't seem, for him at least, to any conflict between the religion of Judaism and the sport that he practices. Again, which involves beating up people. We'll get into more details. So... <clears throat> shows at least one fairly prominent, a lot of people have heard of Dmitry Salita, Orthodox Jewish boxer. Taking it a step further, there's uh, a story that came out, I have a P- excerpt here from Tablet, uh, about an Orthodox rabbi, not just a regular Jew, but a rabbi, uh, who is also a mixed martial artist. This guy's super cool. You met him? No, I read this article. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my gosh! I think I saw a thing about him also, actually. It could all be this article. <laughs> um, this is from Tablet. Okay. So Rabbi Yossi Aylfor isn't really all that different from other young Orthodox rabbis. The 22-year-old goes to shul, wears a kippah, and observes the Sabbath. Oh, and he's a mixed martial arts fighter. The young Californian recently fought and won his first amateur MMA match by a technical knockout, or TKO, in the second round, Fox News reports. Aylfort began training only six months ago under former UFC fighter Terry Sokujo. Plus, he sits out on Friday nights and Saturdays. I never knew a rabbi could fight, Sokujo says in the clip below, shaking his head bemusedly. I never thought a rabbi would be interested in fighting. I needed to give him a kill pill. He's too nice. But being nice in the ring is integral to Aylfort's Principles. It's very uncomfortable to hit someone else, Elford explained. I make sure I'm hitting him on the side of the face. I make sure not to hit him in the head. I make sure not to strike as hard as I could. Everyone who watched said, you were way too nice, but I feel I did what I needed to do, and I didn't do any extra. So, Nu, how did a nice Jewish boy end up choosing martial arts as a hobby? Quote, I wanted a physical, personal, and mental challenge, said Elford who practiced Krav Maga for 12 years before stepping into the octagon. He hopes to one day become a police chaplain and provide security and safety seminars to religious students. His goal is to encourage fitness in the Orthodox Jewish community and promote an awareness of self-defense. I believe if we're not challenging ourselves, we'll be There was another quote elsewhere about... Um, you know, it being a religious experience. I believe it was him in, like, you know, responding to that question, said, you know, sometimes you could be in, like, you know, a situation, you're praying to God, oh, God, please don't let him kill me. Which I guess could, you know, count as an inspirational experience. So, laying this out, you've got a couple of Orthodox people, one of whom is a rabbi, who decide to enter sports that are based on, well, hitting people. Let's go through at least first off details about what these things are before we start talking about what might be some halachic component. So let's take boxing. Boxing, we've got a couple of different categories. The first one, let's say, is amateur boxing or Olympic boxing. Um, in those, you've got people wearing like the padded heads, uh, headsets or whatever, those helmets or whatever. Um, the gloves, if I remember, you have like this white thing. You're only supposed to hit straight ahead and it's done on a point-based system. 
right? Then you've got professional boxing. With professional boxing, you've got judges, you've got uh, you know three ways of winning. You've got your knockout, which is you know knock guy flat out cold. Technical knockout, uh, which could be things like knockdown three times in the same round, sometimes or referee stoppage mm-hmm. would also come in. Like if someone's just getting beat up and isn't going down, the ref can call the fight and say, "No, th- this is it. You're done." Uh, and if both fighters go to the end, then you go to a scoring system, which is highly controversial uh, often because it can be, uh, well, well, just. I'd say watch boxing, but like, just trust me, once you get to subjectivity scoring, it gets a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. In order to box, you need to go through uh, some athletic commission in order to get approved. That was the whole Mike Tyson thing about, you know, would he be allowed to box again? Mm-hmm. Um, and in theory, right, refs are supposed to know what you're, you know, to prevent, like, further injury. Despite that, there are a whole bunch of uh, cases of concussions and brain damage from boxing. Um, can go online find a bunch of others. And comparatively, mixed martial arts... Which even from the which from the inception even today is a lot more in some ways violent than boxing doesn't have nearly the same number of severe debilitating accidents and injuries than boxing did. To explain a bit of the history of mixed martial arts, um, the big thing, the big one. I know there are a few promotions, but the big one, there's Strike Force, for example, which is a small one. The big one is UFC. When UFC, it stands for Ultimate Fighting Championship. UFC started out. It was kind of like the movie Bloodsport, if anyone remembers that, with Rob Van Dam. As far as stupid fighting movies goes, that's one of the better stupid fighting movies. But you basically have, doesn't matter what weight class you're in, doesn't matter what style you're in, put one fighter from one side on the, in an octagon, caged octagon with another style, let him go at it and see who comes out ahead. Um, it was under that you know style that people were really you know saying this is like human cage fighting. After Dana White took it over, it changed. It was no longer that you know pure you know who's the best fighter in the world. They went to weight classes, and they went like so. It wasn't you could have a 500 pounder against a 100 pounder. It was and it wasn't it was you know you had weight classes and there were a whole bunch of rules that they put in about things that you can or can't do. In Ultimate Fighting Championship, it goes kind in some ways similar. You could have a rest, uh, ref stoppage. Uh, it involves a little uh, striking, punching and kicking. It involves holds. Um, I don't say wrestling or karate holds, things like that. You can get someone to tap out. Um, meaning if you're just pummeling someone, you know, they can tap or the ref can stop it. You can get people in holds where, you know, if you stand there, you can break an arm and then, you know, they'll tap out. Ref can stop it too. Now we think, well, you're talking about nearly no holds barge, but, you know, cage fighting. Wouldn't that be worse than boxing? Oddly enough, in terms of injuries, there have been more injuries from boxing because in boxing, it's really all about taking shots to the head. Right, because you've got much more limited range, and that's you know, all you do. Um, look, I have neither boxed nor have I done MMA, and I, I have absolutely no interest in doing either one. So all of this, I, I'm taking second, third hand from what I see reported. In either event, both of these sports involve injuring someone. 
with the exception of of um, amateur Olympic boxing, where the goal isn't to injure, the goal is to score a point. To give an analogy, uh, my chavrus and gross, Morty Friedman, uh, was a brown belt in karate. They asked him if he did any tournaments, and he said, no, the tournaments are stupid, because with a karate tournament, you just you need to hit someone. That's not real karate. Right, real karate is when you're actually, you know, you've got like it's a real martial art, and it, there, there's more physical contact involved there. So yeah, you could be really good in a tournament setting, and someone on the street can just beat the living daylights out of you because yeah, you might hit him, but like bing bing is it's not very useful in a fight. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like just because you know how to fence doesn't mean you're going to be good with a sword, mm-hmm. right? If, you know, you're trained in a certain way. Anyway, so let's take the amateur boxing to the side. All right. What about the other regular boxing? And what do you do with MMA? Because both of those, the way that you win effectively is by hurting someone and by hurting someone a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the halachic issues? And just spitballing, where do you think halachic should line up on this? Well, I mean, I, I, we are going to see sources, but I'm curious what's the intuition, what's the gut instinct? I would think that, you know, halacha, very often keeping up with morality, I would think that. You know, hurting someone or causing physical harm to someone else, not in, like, self-defense or anything like that, would probably be frowned upon. Okay. So So you say, like, not in Mm self-defense. You can say once you get in the ring, it's self-defense. But you're putting yourself in a position Ah. in which you will have to use that Ah. self-defense. It's a very interesting nuance, but it's important to throw that in there. Fair enough. Right? Yeah. The extension of it is that you are gaining something out of hurting someone. Explain. Because you're being... If you're doing the sport professionally, you're getting paid. Yeah, so hopefully. If you win, mm-hmm. and the way to win well, the truth is, is usually well, sometimes you just get paid regardless of the card, uh, and sometimes you get paid if you win. But whatever. Mm-hmm. How did? What do you think getting paid matters? Because if you're deriving benefit. Ah, so you're saying it's not even just a pure self-defense thing. It's I'm beating someone up for money. Mm-hmm. So how would I not be a mercenary? Interesting point. Are you sad? Any thoughts? No. Okay. No, I, th- those are some great ideas. We're get, what? Well, on the other hand, you're also risking, like, you're voluntarily... Ah. Being, like, going in to possibly be harmed or killed. Excellent. And we're, we're going to deal with that. But you, So we got two things so far. One, you injuring someone else. Two, putting yourself in a position where you could be injured and be forced to defend yourself. Three, which is the flip side of what you just said, uh, Wendy, is they're also volunteering. Meaning it's one thing to say, I decide to cold cock Josh over here versus we have a mutual agree- agreement to go into the ring and fight there. Like the very end of Rocky 3. <sighs> I saw Rocky 1 and I didn't love it. I didn't watch the others. I know. I had to say it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Rocky... I mean, Rocky 1 won an Oscar, I, which I is kind of crazy. First use of a steady can, too. What? It's the first uh, use of a steady can. I didn't know. Really? Yeah. Huh. Just before um, The Shining. I did not know that. The, the stairs scene. Huh. Well, <laughs> okay then. Anyway. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, all right. Moving on. So let's go through some Gemaras here that may kind of deal with some of these issues. Uh, Risa, uh, start us off with source number four. This is Gemara Sanhedrin 85a. What did not Rav Ami say in Rav Joe? Yochanan's. Yochanan's name. Even if one smote his neighbor with a blow inflicting less than a peruta's worth of damage, he is punished with lashes by exempt non-liability to monetary compensation is meant. To explain this, Kamara, very quickly, normally, if I knock out Josh's eye, I don't remember what the lach is. Eye for an eye. Yeah, yeah which is calculated by... Monetary value. Oh, right. Meaning you don't actually take out, according right. to Jewish law, you don't take out someone's eye. Right. You pay the assessment of, like, on the market, what's someone with one eye missing right. compared to someone with both eyes. <clears throat> That's a matter of civil payment, right? Um, there are five categories of payment that you need to give if you injure someone. All right? Let's say that's not an issue. That's why this Gemara, I think, is very important. Something that is less than a pruta is not monetarily significant. Mm-hmm. It's considered as if, such that if I steal less than a pruta, I don't have any money to give back to you. But there's another component there with theft. In addition to me having to pay back what I stole, I'm religiously prohibited from stealing. In this phrase, phraseology, and this is a very important component, even if... You know, I hit someone, but I don't cause enough damage that it's worth a pruta. I still violate Jewish law. So what it means here about getting lashes. What this means is, independent of financial liability, it is a sore prohibited to hurt, to injure someone. This would be like a bruise. Mm-hmm. Say, a bruise you might say is worth, worth less than a shever pruta. Wouldn't be allowed to do that. Even more so. Gamar and Sanhedrin, Rishlak, uh, 58b. Rishlakish said, he who lifts a hand against his neighbor, even if he did not smite him, he is called a wicked man. And he said unto his wicked man, wherefore thou wouldst smite thy fellow? Uh, this is going back to Moshe Rabbeinu and the Egyptian guys. So it doesn't say, you know, why did you smite him, but why would you smite him? Showing that he hasn't smitten him yet, and therefore he was called wicked. So someone's got the arm cocked, about to hit someone, as soon as you do this, you're considered a Russia. What does that mean halachically? According to Beit Yosef in Choshen Mishpat 34 2, it means <clears throat> it is written regarding rabbinic disqualifications. It was needed to declare that someone who raises hand to his friend is called wicked and thus should be thus disqualified to give testimony. That's the context that we're talking about, or at least Gemara is talking about here. Raise your hand like this, you're called a Russia. As soon as you do that, you're Pasula Edut. At least according to the Beit Yosef. Let everyone else sort that out. So right off the bat, religious prohibition against injuring someone. All right? Um, now what about the self-harm component? Josh, uh, we saw this a few times, but we need to bring it up again. Okay. It says, uh, Gemara, uh, Bava Kama 91b. It must therefore be said that Tanaim differed on this point. For there is one view maintaining that a man may not injure himself, 
and there is another maintaining that a man may not injure himself. So it seems to be a dispute amongst the Tanaitic May. So it seems to be a dispute amongst the rabbinic sources. Uh, most people that I've you know seen after there seems to follow the opinion that you're not permitted to injure yourself. Wendy, can you take Imara um, uh, Bavakama ninety B? It once happened that a certain person uncovered the head of a woman in a market. Should be, yeah, one second. Let me just make a correction. This is actually, I should redo this. This is actually in a Mishnah. So when I redo this, I'll probably put in this source where it says Bavakama 90b, the Mishnaic citation, but whatever. The source is still correct. I mean, you look up the Gemara on this page, you're going to find this text. Usually when I cite Mishnayot, I try to be careful to show, hey, this is first a Mishnah mm-hmm. as opposed to a Gemara. But... Anyway, same text. Go ahead. And when she came to Rabbi Akiva, she ordered the offender to pay her 400 So here's the situation, right? Someone uncovers a woman's head in public, um, gets embarrassed by it, guy gets fined 400 zuz. Uh, you might remember we, gave, we discussed a bit about this in uh, the class we gave on Sneut way, way, way back. I think it was current Jewish question number two. Wow, I feel like referencing like an old Spider-Man thing. It's like, remember Karen G's question? Number two. Anyway, so a woman got her hair uncovered, damaged, being publicly embarrassed. That's a fine 400 zos. Go ahead. The letter said to him, Rabbi, allow me time in which to carry out the judgment. 400 zos was a lot of money. Remember, 200 zos was kind of the poverty line. It was also about how much people made in a year. So you're talking about like two, two years' salary for this. Right now, we could argue it's extreme, but at any rate, you think two hundred zoos at that time? Yeah, you probably you don't give me some time to come up with the money. Rabbi says, "Okay." Rabbi Akiva sent it and gave and fixed a time for him. He watched her until he saw her standing outside the door of her courtyard. He then broke in her presence a pitcher where there was oil of the value of an isar, and she uncovered her head and collected the oil with her palms and put her hands upon her head to anoint it. Right, so what he did was, he thought, oh, a smart guy. He broke a thing of oil in front of her, so she uncovered her head and put the oil on her head so she could actually like, get the oil. So, go ahead. He then set up witnesses against her and came to Rabbi Akiva and said to him, Having to give such a woman 400 years, so, all right, so you see the problem here. Her, he pulls off her head covering. She says, I was embarrassed, pay me 400 zoos. But she goes ahead and does it herself. Mm-hmm. He's like, wait a second, what sort of embarrassment is there? You see that she's absolutely fine with this. Why do I need to give her such money? Serbia Kiva then said, Your argument is of no legal effect, for where one injures oneself, though forbidden, he is exempt. Yet, for others to injure him, they would be liable. So also, so also he who cuts down his own plan, so not lawfully, is exempt. Yet were others to do it, they would be liable. All right. So if I do self-harm, I don't pay anyone anything. There's no monetary damage. But he still says it's forbidden. Even though you are not permitted to injure yourself, you don't actually face a penalty. So in this case, the woman, you know, she can say, yeah, I, you know, I don't care about it myself, so I'll take off, you know, my head covering, but that's on her. Doesn't mean you're allowed to do it either, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds, it, it sounds kind of reasonable when you think about it, you know, 
this came up also recently with uh, vandalism. Uh, remember Bansky or Banksy, whatever his name is, Banksy. Uh, so he put up his, you know, he put up like a certain graffiti thing. Another guy came by and puts a graffiti, not erasing Banksy's, but did something next to it. And the cops called the second guy. Uh, and just like, wait a second, but Banksy did the same thing. And the police said, it's really a civil matter. It depends on whether the owner decides to press charges. The owner doesn't press charge for one guy. That doesn't mean you're allowed to. Mm-hmm. just means we don't go after that guy. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you think this applies to self-harm? I mean, there are very few cases. I know it's no gaming commission. I mean, it's one of the things that also both MMA and boxing, you know, they don't want to have mismatches because mismatches are boring, right? Uh, sometimes you do to try to build up someone's record. But truth is, you know, usually when you go into these fights, they make sure that you're good enough to at least handle yourself. Mm-hmm. Although it might not be true anymore. You know what? Actually, let's make that distinction. Right? Sometimes you can have people that say, I'm going to go into a ring with someone. We're both of equal or relatively equal skill. We can handle ourselves against each other. Then you've got mismatches where one person has no business being a ring, uh, in the ring with another. Um, I know it, it, this is a weirder analogy. It's come, it used to be big in uh, pro wrestling, which is a whole different thing altogether because it's a scripted sport. Um, I, I really don't like the term fake because it's like, oh, they're not actually, no, they, they exist, but mm-hmm. everything is, and they're doing physical feats. But it's all scripted, meaning mm-hmm. they're intentionally trying not to injure each other. Um, Severely. Exactly. So back in the day, you had people that were called jobbers. Those are the people that always lost, and they made someone else look good. Granted, they weren't really you know, there to injure, but you had that every now and again you know, in sports, too, to try to help build up someone's name. But it's bad for promoters to come. Like, Remember Mike Tyson, uh, I remember he, uh, back in the 80s, with Michael Sphinx. I don't remember that fight. It lasted, I think, 90 seconds. And this was after a huge amount of buildup. You know, people get paper, he's 90 second fight, that's it. That's horrible, right? Yeah, it's not exciting. Unless you. So, anyway, you might say, though, that if you're talking about that case of a mismatch, according to this, you might not be permitted to enter into that situation simply because, well, you can't defend yourself. You know that you're going to get beat up and beat up bad. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, you do one of those, you know, trick things of like you hang around for a certain number of rounds, like uh, the Simpsons episode, right? With Frederick Tatum. Oh, yeah. Right? This, uh, this parole hearing is over. You gotta watch that one. So, one of Homer's things wasn't that he was a good fighter, he just couldn't get knocked out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he said, he just needed someone for three rounds to, mm-hmm. because it's too short. No one wants it too short. So he says, oh, we'll have, you know, this, you know, the heavyweight boxing champ trying to beat up a guy who can't get knocked down. Sounds perfect, right? Watch the show. It, it, this is actually a good one. Um, what was my point? Right. Under other circumstances, though, it, again, doesn't happen probably wouldn't be there at all. Now, what about the thing about allowing others to harm you? How does that fit into all of this? Right? Because you might say there's a difference between me actively harming myself, but what if, what if it's the halacha? If I say, go ahead, hit me, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Reza, take this. This is a Mishnah in Bavakama 8.7. If the plaintiff said, put out my eye, 
cut off my arm and break my leg, the offender would nevertheless be liable. And so also, even if he told him to do it, on the understanding that he would be exempt, he would still be liable. Meaning, if Josh goes to me and is like, uh, hey, Rabbi Yudar, I really, really, really want you to cut off my arm. And don't worry about it, because like you're not going to be liable for anything. All right, and he says you're still liable, that does not work. All right, continue. If the plaintiff said, tear my garment and... Or break my pitcher. And break my pitcher, the defendant would still be liable. But if he said to him, do this on the understanding that you will be exempt, he would be exempt. But if one said to the defendant, do this to a third person on the understanding that you will be exempt, the defendant would be liable, whether the injury was done to the person or to his chattels. All right. Let me do the Gemara on this. This is from Bovacama 93a. So if the plaintiff said, put out my eye, with the understanding he would be exempt, he would still be liable. And the plaintiff said, tear my, but if he said, tear my garment, and the understanding he would be exempt, he would be exempt. So we seem to have a, um, a dispute here, or at least these two laws don't seem to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm giving you permission to cause a monetary loss and saying, I'm even going to exempt you for it, cool. if it's a matter of severe bodily harm, it doesn't seem to matter. But if it's a matter of property, then it's okay. All right? So here's what the Gemara does with that. Ravasi Barhama said to Rabba, Why here is the rule differing in the former case and in the latter case? He replied, There is liability in the former case because no man truly pardons the woundings of his uh, principal limbs. The others rejoined, Does a man pardon the inflicting of pain? Seeing as it was taught that the plaintiff had said, Smite me and wound me on the understanding you will be exempt, the defendant would be exempt. He had no answer and said, Have you heard anything on this matter? He thereupon said to him, This is what Rav Sheshit has said. The liability is because the plaintiff had no right to, to pardon, to discredit the family. It was similarly stated, Rav Oshia said, because of the discredit to the family. Whereas Rav, Rava said, sorry, I really should be more careful. When Sensino has R-A-B-B-A-H, it's Rava. When it's R-A-B-A, it's Rava. And usually I go about fixing that. So this would be Rava said, because no man could truly pardon the injury done to his principal limbs. Rav Yochanan, however, said, and this is a really wacky line here, sometimes the term yes means no, and the term no means yes. That's when spoken ironically. It was also taught likewise, if the plaintiff said, smite me and wound me, when the plaintiff interposed, um, on the understanding of being exempt, the plaintiff responded yes, there may be a yes which implies no, if it went spoken ironically. If the plaintiff said, tear my garment, when the defendant imposed only understanding of being exempt, he said to him no, there may be a no, which means yes, such as when spoken ironically. The when spoken ironically part, incidentally, is since, you know, the gloss here. Um, but that all, like, you know, yes means no, no means yes. Little bizarre, especially in today's culture. Um, I, for matters of practicality, let me be very clear: no means no. All right, not debating that. Just quoting the Gemara. Now, what does this apply? And truth is, we shown him take this in a whole bunch of different directions, right? So, what would this apply to? Either MMA or to mixed mar- or to boxing. You could reasonably use this Gemara to justify 
both sports. Because both, both participants, assuming, again, they're doing this willingly, meaning no one's holding a gun to either one's head, although, you know, if someone's holding a gun to your head and do it, then it would be like, oh, this is ones, right? You have no choice and you're physically compelled. Let's say, assuming there's no compelling, you've got two willing participants of their own free will entering into a physical competition, knowing the risks involved, right? And both of them do it, it's okay. To give you a mushal, before you get that point, you and I get into a brawl on the street, we both wind up in jail. We do it in an MMA octagon, we get money for it. Right? Huge difference there. If I punch someone out on the street, I go to jail for assault. I punch someone out in the boxing ring, I can get many millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Right? Consent, and that's consent in civil law. It seems here you might be able to use this Gemara to justify both boxing and mixed martial arts under the conditions that... Again, it's really a balanced type of thing there. You take necessary, excuse me, you take necessary precautions and training. Um, and, you know, these things are very intense. Like, uh, championship boxers, you know, would take months to fight. They would, might fight once, maybe twice a year. Uh, another good indication about professional wrestling being scripted. Like, oh, you got knocked unconscious with a chair shot and you're back up. Maybe 15 minutes later, you're fine, right? Real boxers who go through this because of the amount of punishment that they take, you know, give themselves at least half a year for a lot of these bouts. Mm-hmm. Something to keep in mind, really, certainly on the upper level, uh, you know, super heavyweight level. Someone who has like 30 some odd wins is obviously fighting several times a year. Mm-hmm. All right, your thoughts? Well, I was just going to say that I think that this is a little bit different than a boxing or an MMA fight because. In boxing or MMA, yes, you you are willingly getting into a ring and you are saying, I realize I might get hit, but you're not telling the other person to hit you. If they try to punch you, you're still going to block it. You're not saying, hit me. You're saying, they can punch you, and you're going like this. You don't want to get hit. You don't want to get hit, but you're not upset. And you'd probably be upset if you did, but it's not like, you know, felony assault. Yes. That's the difference. Yes. yes. That's why I said you might be able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not actually posketing whether or not it's good or it's bad, but a lot's going to hinge on this Gemara. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, even on this Gemara, you've got a lot of differences of opinions. Because also here, like, what counts as a severe wound? Mm-hmm. Meaning, MMA, where your risk of severe injury might not be as great as boxing, especially if you do it long term, you know, with all the concussions and, and major brain damage. I don't know which one is worse. On the other hand, there was a guy, was it Silva? Uh, I think in his last fight had his leg crazy broken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just a freak accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I don't know if you could find that clip on YouTube, but you can find enough, you know, UFC strike force MMA clips and see just how these fights work. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're to date at least has have been less serious. Interest. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Those are all important questions to ask. There's also, at the beginning of a fight, the two fighters going with the ref, and the ref explains, this is a clean fight, and that it's almost like you're signing this contract in the ring. That- it's, it's one thing you're signing the contract in the ring, but Josh's point, I think, is also well taken. It's one thing to say, I'm giving you a free shot, take it. You know, very few boxers give opponents free shots, mm-hmm. right? You don't want them to hit you. You're not giving them permission. You're, you're giving, you're not giving them permission to hit you. You're giving them permission to try to hit you. 
right? Because you really don't want to be there when that punch lands. Mm-hmm. But if it happens, you're not going to whine about it because you knew it was a risk. Mm-hmm. So what Josh is pointing out is maybe that counts as an important halakhic distinction. Maybe it does. I honestly don't know. I think it's a great point. Um, I'm not coming out with a conclusion here either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something which is worth considering of how much consent are you actually giving the guy? So who knows? And whether or not, you know, putting up your, you know, fists or hands to guard is enough of a way of saying like, no, I, I'm not letting you. I don't know. That gets a little more complicated. Any thoughts, Risa? Like, I almost see it as like, if you want to take it, not that it's the same thing, but let's take a like professional football Ah, okay. Great. Something along those lines. Like, if you're, you know, setting a block, if you're one of those big linemen who's blocking for your running back, in that case, I can see them saying, okay, hit me. I am sacrificing my body, intending that you run into me so that this guy can run by. So that I would see more like being this, like, hit me. I give you permission to hit me. Whereas or boxing... Even, well, so you even raise a great point. We focused more uh, today on boxing and mixed martial arts as opposed to other very physical sports. Football, very physical sport, at least tackle football. Uh, hockey, you know, a lot of checking going on. Well, I don't know anymore. I remember, what was that guy? Ty Domi from the Rangers was like this classic thug mm. where, you know, he was just great at, you know, beating people up. Um, with those exceptions, uh, you know, or at least most exceptions there in football, you're not trying to injure someone, right? You're trying to tackle the guy mm-hmm. and you go through a lot of training to learn how do you tackle properly? Because if you tackle improperly and you really want to try to injure someone, you can wind up getting injured yourself too. Mm-hmm. If anyone remembers, that's kind of what happened to Dennis Bird. Uh, they were, uh, it was the guy in the Jets. Uh, they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they were going after the quarterback. Uh, one went high, one went low. Quarterback just stepped out. The two Jets guys hit each other and Bird wound up getting paralyzed. Mm-hmm. You know, if they hit the quarterback, I don't know like what that would have been. And that's why the NFL has, you know, been trying really hard to figure out equipment strategies, new rules to make sure that people don't get injured, mm-hmm. um, you know, and trying to find like what are the, what plays do people get the most injured on? Mm-hmm. No one, tr- well, I shouldn't say no one tries to. There are people who do try to injure someone, but usually get flagged for that. The goal of football isn't to injure someone. That's not how you win. Sometimes you actually wind up hurting your team by injuring an opponent. Uh, remember, like, if anyone remembers, uh, you know, quarterback gets knocked out of the, ga- uh, out of the game, backup comes in and winds up doing much better. Mm-hmm. That happens on, you know, a whole bunch. See, you know, Drew Bledsoe, for one example. It's like, oh, sure, like, we'll knock, you know, Drew Bledsoe. We don't need Drew Bledsoe. It's like, oh, who's this next? Hey, Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. What's he going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the, the goal there isn't to injure. That's doing a physical sport, um, but you're not trying to hurt someone. Like even amateur wrestling. Why you as an amateur wrestling team? I know someone who won a whole bunch of trophies for them. You don't in amateur wrestling. You're not trying to hurt someone. Excuse me. You're grappling. You're trying to do other stuff. But anyway, um, I think that the, that would make an important distinction too. Like even basketball, you can hurt people. Um, any physical sport, you can hurt people. Some things are more likely than others. Mm-hmm. The questions I think are, is, you know, will come down to intent and precautions, mm-hmm. right? So with football, you've got pads. Um, you also have, uh, you know, not setting up mismatches, right? 
in the rare times that I would go play basketball, I'm not going up against Shaquille O'Neal. That would be really stupid. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know he's out of shape today, but I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, I am not a basketball player at all. I, right. So those things, you know, th- those would be things I made a distinction. Doing the MMA and boxing thing, I think, makes for a more compelling discussion. Because here your goal, or at least the primary thing of what you're doing, is causing injury to someone. You don't want to hurt them right you don't you don't want someone to be brain dead you don't want to break someone's leg but the way that you win is by causing physical injury mm-hmm. as opposed to other sports that's not the goal of the game mm-hmm. right your your team in football doesn't win if you get more of their guys on the in, uh, injured reserve than yours so anyway hope this interesting enough at least some of the issues involved um, let me recommend against getting into any fights be they professional or otherwise have a wonderful week be well